From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, January 27th. Biologists are celebrating the comeback of an endangered fish in the Colorado River Basin. As KUNC's Alex Hager reports, the razorback sucker is having a moment. 2022 was a record year for populations in Utah's Green River when extra water was released from Flaming Gorge Reservoir to prop up Lake Powell downstream. It also flooded warm, food-rich wetlands where young razorback sucker mature. Fish biologist Dave Spees is with the Bureau of Reclamation. They're found nowhere else in the world, so there is an, a value in terms of natural history and biodiversity. They were part of the ecosystem as we uh, we found it in the in the late 1800s. Spees says this comeback was a special one since biologists were able to boost populations with wild spawned fish instead of bringing in fish from a hatchery. I'm Alex Hager. Filming for Kevin Costner's movie series Horizon wrapped up in Moab in November. Since the film is still in production, we can't spoil anything about the plot of this 19th century western. But KZMU's Emily Arnson spoke with a few of the film's extras about what it was like to turn back the clock and play make-believe in their own backyard. Usually, you can find Stephen Schultz tending to his horses and working on his ranch in LaSalle. But for three weeks this fall, he was an antebellum foot soldier in the Wild West. Yeah, they said I had a uh, period face. I guess after being 40 years in the Utah backcountry, my face looks like it. Schultz is a self-proclaimed history buff, and he says being on set really transported him back in time to the 1860s, right before the Civil War. This total immersion, you know, you get you get suited up, and here you're getting a wool coat and a heavy shirt and a 16-pound rifle, and you have your side pouches full of your ammo and your other gear and your water bottle and your canteen. And the thing that really caught me is here you are at the setting of this fort, which was beautifully recreated. Um, at the time, they get rid of all the extras and all the other people and you feel like you're there you feel like the clock has rolled back 150 years there's smoke going on the fire and dishes being served and everything in front of you is from the period so you really get that microcosm of what it was like to be then and there those long days on set and the sweltering heat made for some serious bonding situations you're thrust into a situation where you have to think you're in the 1860s. So, of course, all our electronic devices went, and all we has with each other. And you're kind of sitting there in a tent in the middle of the desert waiting to get called on. So everyone would talk. Some people brought guitars. But you'd strike up these conversations, and you'd end up hearing people's life stories. There's nothing else to do. There's no TV. There's no distractions and no entertainment. So it was really amazing life experience. Michelle Blackburn played a fort wife. And she thinks that historic feeling they recreated on set is unique to the landscapes around Moab. In some places, nothing has changed for centuries. We can go, you know, just a few miles out of town and actually be in the wilderness. And if you camp and you live on the land, which I do, there's an immediate connection with the people of all times. How you are with the land and how you survive and how you access water and protect yourself from the elements. You don't have to go far out of the heart of Moab to get to the Wild West. I asked if she had any relatives who were actually in Moab during the movie's time period. Her grandfather came to Thompson Springs in the 1890s, about 30 years after the film would have taken place. So she didn't really feel a connection to that family history on set. 
but she does have family history in the Western film industry in Moab. Part of my fun was uh, the fact that we actually had our grandmother's sister and her children who were in some John Wayne films. Schultz doesn't have any pioneer history in the area, but he does come from a family of soldiers. We had a history of military service. I was in the service. My father and my grandfather and my great-grandfather. My great-grandfather was actually in the Civil War, so it was really neat to kind of wear the same type of uniform, to do the same type of drills, to uh, see the things that they suffered through on a day-to-day basis. While he was on set, Schultz actually got a small speaking role. Mr. Costner came up, got 10 inches from my face, and scanned me 180 degrees around, stood back and says, let me hear your line. So I gave him the line that they gave me. He says, you're my man. He goes, today I'm going to make you a SAG. When I became a SAG, it changed my life. At the time, I'm going like, what's a SAG? (laughs) Found out, of course, it's Screen Actors Guild. The three words that landed him this title? Rider coming in! Costner expects to make three more movies in the Horizon series. But as of right now, the dates for future filming haven't been announced. For KZMU, I'm Emily Ernson. Speaking of film, Gavin Dahl, with our partners at KRCL in Salt Lake City, is reviewing brand new documentaries at the 2023 Sundance Film Festival. Here's what he has to say about the doc Deep Rising. The film covers the deep ocean's relationship to sustaining life on Earth. Sundance attendees at the fantastic Grand Theater at Salt Lake Community College gave a warm welcome to Deep Rising director Matthew Reitz, based in Montreal, and Dr. Sandor Mulsau from the University of Southern Chile on Saturday. The professor and former director of environmental management at the International Seabed Authority asked the audience of about 200 people who had read the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea. Only two people raise their hands. Rejected by the Reagan administration four decades ago, even though it was agreed to by 98% of the rest of the world, it is not well known today. The film's completion comes as the obscure International Seabed Authority is on the brink of allowing private companies to shift operations along the ocean floor from exploration to exploitation. Technology is ready to roll that will allow the harvest of strategic metals. Reitz worked together with co-writer Dr. Helen Scales, who he calls a brilliant scientist, scientist pointing to her book The Brilliant Abyss as key source material because it's quote easy to read. Reitz told me bringing aboard the movie star Jason Momoa who portrays Aquaman in the DC universe as the narrator of Deep Rising was like icing on the cake. He said we needed a voice. He understood that. I told him we need your superpower. Reitz continued it's personal for Jason. He's linked to the ocean through his father and his grandfather. He calls Deep Rising the most important project he's been part of. The director brought Deep Rising to Sundance for its premiere and hopes to find a distributor. Given his star power and Jason Momoa's raspy whisper narration about the unstoppable march toward self-destruction goes down a little bit easier. Still, the complexity of the material might make it a tough sell for mainstream box office. Abstract montages of elaborate organisms living in the deep sea are interspersed with history lessons, detailed scientific explanations, footage of opposition to extraction of rare earth metals on land, promotional B-roll of clean energy marketing campaigns, and even exclusive shots of deep sea mining fundraising pitches with blurred faces for certain high net worth individuals. Moviegoers wondered aloud what the filmmakers see as an alternative to the electric car and battery power 
storage gamble the deep sea mining advocates are wagering on. During the Q&A, we were told green hydrogen would be a preferred solution, but that's not part of this movie. Matthew Reitz wants motivated viewers not only to read the 150-page UN Convention on the Law of the Sea, but also to send letters to President Joe Biden asking him to sign the U.S. onto the convention. But that campaign concept isn't part of the movie either. Deep Rising is the result of a great deal of work, and the subject is extremely important. However, it might require one of Aquaman's superpowers to communicate telepathically with the creatures of the sea for the film to find a wide audience. I'm Gavin Dahl. And now the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. Recently, local media covered a proposed bill that would restrict Grand County's ability to spend transient room tax revenue. According to reporter Sophia Fisher, this prompted an outpouring of opinion, filling the Times Independent's editorial pages. We have a big variety of opinions in this week's edition, but we have a full page devoted just to people writing in about last week's um, TRT amendment story. Um, If you if you missed the news, Representative Phil Lyman is in the process of drafting a bill that could strip Grand County of its economic diversification funds that that came from the transient room tax and draw it down the percentage that can be used for tourism mitigation, which money the money goes to the sheriff's office um, and search and rescue and things like that. Okay, so the Times Independent saw a huge response from community members weighing in on this proposed proposed legislation that isn't even drafted as we know just yet. Correct. What are people reacting to? Both in favor of the potential legislation and against it. Um, we have opinions from staff and elected officials at the county as well as, you know, just several interested residents. Um, that's that's a full page, but we do have two other pages of opinions. We have an ode to local government from former Grand County Attorney Christina Sloan. We have a state of the city address from Moab Mayor Joette Langianese. So actually a a great variety and a potentially record-setting number of opinions pieces in, in this week's edition. Okay. What do you make of this week then, Sophia, and the importance of this issue to our local community? I think it's, you know, clearly getting a lot of people's attention, um, which is really exciting. And it, it's always good to see people write in. Um, you know, our, our letters policy, I think, is, is pretty broad and folks from the community are always welcome to write in about anything we've written about or anything otherwise. So I I personally love to see the participation. It really makes it seem, you know, like the community is getting informed and participating in this very important discussion. And where else do you want to go in this week's edition of the Times Independent? Certainly. um, Our main story on the front page has to do with a seminar that was hosted last night by the Moab Police Department uh, for parents and guardians of those attending high school and middle school. Uh, The seminar was on cyber safety. So informing those parents and guardians about anything from sexting to cyberbullying to excessive screen time and grooming, you know, real problems that are affecting kids and teens in today's, you know, heavily electronic environment. And this was, um, as you said, event with the police department and the school district. I know they've done cyber safety events in the past, but this seminar seems like it was um, pretty chock full of various information. Absolutely. And there are going to be um, assemblies held at the high school and middle schools today and um, future seminars as well, in case you missed mm-hmm. last night's. Um, yeah, it's a discussion of a variety of topics, but it, this seminar is coming as the FBI's warning of a growing sextortion scheme targeting teens, mm-hmm. oftentimes teen boys, in which a predator will pose online as, you know,
know, a teenage girl and ask a teenage boy to share uh, sexually explicit content, you know, photos and videos, and then threaten to post those online unless they get money. And it's been costing people millions of dollars throughout the country, actually, of course, as well as, you know, untold degrees of of embarrassment and fear and concern. Mm -hmm. Um, So... I'm sure that was a part of the discussion last night and definitely something that um, adults and teens alike have to really watch out for. Wow. Okay. So you said there's an assembly today for students and then there will be ongoing talks about this issue um, at the school district too. Yes, absolutely. Moving on. Where do you want to take us next? Uh, water. All right, we're going to Thompson Springs, I'm, I'm assuming. Yes, Thompson Springs. It's a, as folks know, it's a, about a 35 person community. It's north of Moab by about 40 miles, nestled in the foot of the book cliffs. Um, and they have had an issue with water. Uh, but the good news is that that issue is in the process of getting addressed. Um, John Corkery, who's the chair of the Thompson Special Service Water District Board, uh, spoke with the Grand County Planning Commission on Monday in advance of probably talking to the county commission in the coming weeks about how the board is working through this water deficit that it's been facing down for almost a year and a half now. So this this water deficit that Thompson is facing down was revealed in late 2021 by an engineering report from Sunrise mm-hmm. um, Engineers, and it essentially surmised that the current water source in Thompson Springs is delivering only 40% of what is required by state statute or state code. Um, This deficit led to a moratorium on new development that require new water connections that was imposed by Grand County almost exactly a year ago. Um, And at the same time, the Thompson Water District also imposed a moratorium on new water accounts, new water taps, while it delved Mm. into this. So the development moratorium is actually going to expire. It's set to expire February 1st. First Wednesday, unless, you know, the county commission were to take emergency last minute action, which I I don't think they are going to. Um, And that's partially because the water board is working through this deficit. So Mm -hmm. uh, Corkery on Monday actually said the deficit was really a deficit on paper. And he cited various ways that that deficit was calculated in the engineering report that might not actually be required by state code. Mm -hmm. So there is a chance that this moratorium could lift and then development that requires water connections could move forward in Thompson. Yes, that would that would take a little longer. Um, Corkery is working with state officials to work out this paper deficit and to mm-hmm. see if they can get it reversed. And until then, I think the moratorium on new water accounts from the Water District Board is going to remain in place. So there's still holds on new water taps, but it does look like there is hope for the future. It's interesting, as you said, you know, there's roughly 35 people in this town. And there has been conversation in recent years in Grand County as, um, you know, development slows here in Moab Valley, that Thompson could be a bedroom community or look at opportunities for making money like Moab has with the tourism sector. Absolutely. I think there are a lot of high hopes and excitement about um, what Thompson Springs could be in its own right or, you know, as a a bedroom community for Moab, Mm -hmm. like you said. And there are uh, developers there, you know, like Santa Carey, for example, Mm -hmm. who are trying to expand economic development in the area who Mm -hmm. have been stymied so far by this inability to get water. I do want to mention that hope for them to take over the Umptra River water right. So as folks may remember, this was a pretty high profile, Mm -hmm. exciting development about a year ago, last February, when the water board started 
uh, getting into talks with Umtra to potentially take over their permanent river water right, which would deliver a lot of water to the small community. Corkery also provided an update on that on Monday. He said that it is unlikely it would be very costly, even if they got the water right, to transport that water uphill towards Thompson Springs. So that doesn't seem possible, but the board is still looking at taking over a big holding pond that Umtra mm-hmm. currently has around Crescent Junction, which could be a great asset for them. They're still looking at, you know, redeveloping a BLM Spring or capturing unused runoff that's running down um, a nearby wash all of the time that could provide 20 to 30 million gallons of water per year potentially. So there are still, you know, in addition to addressing this paper deficit and just trying to make clear that the current water source does provide enough water for the community, the water board is still looking at other sources of water as well, but potentially not for Mumtra. Sophia Fisher, reporter at the Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. Moab City spent a few days recently in strategic planning sessions. And as Allison Harford of the Moab Sun News reports, they talked about everything from housing policies to a property tax and department rebranding. On January 19th and 20th, the Moab City Council and a bunch of city staff like the city manager, Carly Castle, and the finance director, Ben Billingsley, gathered together to do this strategic planning workshop. So this took place over two days, and basically what they were trying to do was get started thinking about how to create a budget for the 2023 to 2024 fiscal year. So the first day of this process involved departments that came before the council and presented on projects that they were doing and also kind of like making a wish list. So a lot of departments said they wanted to continue projects that were already in motion. So for example, um, engineering will continue working on projects related to flood mitigation, the transit pilot program, and the unified transportation plan. Uh, The sustainability department wants to work on establishing Moab as a dark sky community and creating a low emission vehicle policy for the city's fleet. And the planning department will work on completing ordinances that were passed in the last fiscal year. So a lot of these projects are already in motion. We already know about a lot of them. Um, But a couple big ones were Lisa Church, the city's communications director, said that she wants to redesign the city's website and also create an engagement platform for residents where residents could ask about construction projects or things that are going on in the city. And also, she said she wants to work on improving the city's communication with construction projects because a lot of residents have chimed in and said that they don't really know what's going on, especially when construction projects go longer than maybe everyone thought. So that's in the pipeline. And also kind of a big one is that the Mark is pursuing a rebrand. So Annie McVeigh is the Park's Arts and Recreation and Trails Director. And she said the Mark division of the department will refer to itself as the Moab Arts. But Mark is a term that a lot of locals use and know. And so the building itself will become the Moab Arts and Rental Center as opposed to Recreation. And that kind of allows the Moab Recreation and Aquatic Center to have the word recreation in their title. And so this rebrand will also allow the Moab Arts to um, diversify and expand its class and program offerings. And also it wants to refine the process for rentals and contracts for public art and gallery spaces. So that's very exciting. And also the Moab Recreation and Aquatic Center um, is in a much better place than it was a few years ago, McVeigh said. So they have a more stable lifeguard and front desk staff and also um, 
the MRAC wants to offer more classes and programs too. Okay. And this was, you know, two days of meetings where Mm -hmm. the city council members and staff. Yeah. So on the second day, the council and a couple of city staff members discussed how to utilize the six important pillars that were outlined during last year's Moab Tomorrow Together community vision process. So the vision process also laid the groundwork for showing the city where the community wants them to be focusing. So a lot of these included, um, like tourism trajectory, affordability, workforce and housing, Mm -hmm. community fabric. So a lot of the projects in motion right now can be sorted into those pillars. So council spent a lot of time doing that Mm -hmm. and figuring out where people want them to focus their efforts. They heard from the departments and then they could use this community vision to see where the community wanted them to focus. Right. So that that process that was lengthy did inform the strategic planning. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. So the council spent a really good chunk of time discussing affordable housing and the cost of living in Moab. So making housing that's attainable for locals still remains a huge goal. And they talked to the city attorney who said that most of the affordable housing obstacles Moab runs into are from state law. Like when the city tried to pass the active employee housing ordinance, they faced months of litigation. But he said he expects the tides to turn soon as more cities in Utah prioritize affordable housing. Um, But he also encouraged the council to conduct municipal code rewrites or updates like every year to close any potential loopholes. Um, So that was definitely interesting. And I think the city council cares really deeply about finding ways that they can provide affordable housing, even with a state legislature that they feel maybe doesn't support them in that. The council also discussed the possibility of raising a property tax. So this was a huge discussion in 2021 um, when the city realized that they had a backlog of $60 million in capital improvement projects which prompted the council to discuss implementing a tax because one of the only reliable revenue streams that the city can utilize for paying for those long-term infrastructure Mm -hmm. projects is a property tax. Mm -hmm. Um, But of course, that idea was ultimately voted down in August 21 because the idea was super unpopular with locals. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we still have this backlog. And the finance director, Ben Billingsley, said that we have 30 years of deferred maintenance And so Mm. it's very likely, Langanese said, that council members will again have to discuss the possibility of implementing a property tax. All right. So thank you for writing about this and delving into this visioning process, because it's not easy to go through this audio, dear listener. Right. And pulling this out because, you know, that prepares residents for perhaps a a very uncomfortable discussion this year once again. Right. Yeah. Mm. And Langanese was talking about that, too, with city council members that, in August 2021, they did all feel very pressured by the community to not implement a tax. Mm-hmm. And so she did say that she expects there to be some hard conversations in the future yeah. when this is brought up again. Those deferred maintenance projects like you outlined don't go away just because right. the tax is voted down. Mm-hmm. Um, they're still there and they still have to figure out ways to do them and pay for them. Right. All right. Anything else to pull out of this article, Allie? Yeah. So the city tracks its progress of its strategic plan on an interactive dashboard that was made last year. So the dashboard is still showing progress on the 2022 to 2023 fiscal year plan, but it's available on the city's website. 
Nice. So um, the members of the public can like check it out and see how far they've come mm-hmm. and how much farther they have to go. Yeah, definitely. Okay. And where do you want to take us next in this Moab Sun News? Yeah. So next we can go to the Christmas bird count, which took place on December 17th. And very recently, the results of the count were finalized. Christmas bird count. I mean, Moab has been doing this. I, I looked back in the data as far as I can tell since like the 80s. Yeah, I looked at it too. So they officially started participating in the count or at least officially started sending their data to the National Audubon Society in 1984 okay. when there were 13 participants who counted 66 species. In 2022, the count had 62 participants, which is one of the highest number of participants yet, and saw 63 species. And then Marcy Hafner, who helps organize the local count and reports the data, said that 11 more species were observed during count week, which is the week that takes place three days before and three days after the official count day. Any notable species? Yeah. Hafner said they saw a bald eagle, a pygmy owl, a prairie falcon, and a northern harrier. And then during count week, they saw a great horned owl, which is a super rare treat. They've Mm. never reported seeing a great horned owl before. Wow. Okay. So some highlights for our local birders. Any context as to how the rest of the country is doing with birds? Nationwide, it's not great in the bird world. The Cornell Lab of Ornithology, who's another organization that collects and tracks bird data, which often partners with the Audubon Society, um, they recently published the State of Birds 2022. um, And the report found that birds are declining overall in every habitat except for wetlands and that three billion birds have been lost from the United States and Canada in the past 50 years. The data that Moab found during the Christmas bird count was super standard um, but this data isn't really meant to capture um, overall trends because mm-hmm. it's just one day and so it depends really largely on weather. Mm-hmm. Like this year we had a pretty nice day So around 6,700 birds were counted. But in other years, they've counted as low as 4,000 individuals. But that could also be because maybe it was a stormy day. Mm -hmm. And so birds Mm -hmm. were sheltering. And so the purpose of counts like this is both to send data back to the National Audubon Society, but also just to get people interested in and excited about um, their local birding scene. Mm. So another count like this is the annual butterfly count that takes place in the cells. And scientists who are involved in that said that the purpose of that count is really just to get people involved and excited. And so while this data was really standard for Moab, it's also just really great that 62 people came out because the state of birds nationwide isn't that great. I talked to some folks on Christmas bird count day, mm-hmm. and there was one one woman who was joining for that exact reason that you outlined, because she was interested in becoming um, more familiar with birds in our local area. She was retired, mm-hmm. and she's like, maybe this is something that I could really get into. I mean, it's really cool. Usually the group sees a lot of house sparrows, European starlings, um, house finches, American robins, but it's also just amazing that um, there are people in the group who know 63 species of birds and know them well <laughs> enough to be able to identify them. Sure. Anything else to say about this article? Um, so the Moab birding world is pretty small, but if you're interested, we do have a Moab bird club and there's also a Moab birding connection Facebook group. 
And finally, Ali, there is a series of events coming up that you um, profiled this week in the Moabs and News. Tell us about these. This is one of Moab's most beloved winter events. It's Sci-Fi Movie Nights, which is hosted by Nora Shepard and Richard Codd. And this year's lineup, which features The Time Machine, a film from 1960, Forbidden Planet from 1956, and 2001 A Space Odyssey from 1968 features all films that are critically acclaimed and each film follows space or time travel. So these sci-fi movie nights started in 2020 when Shepard and Cod, who are both really passionate about science fiction movies and have been for their whole lives, they decided to host these screenings as a way for the community to kind of break up the monotony of winter and just enjoy a fun and free event. Um, Shepard called it a really, really cheap date, but in a good way. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting too because these are vintage sci-fi movies right we talked about that a bit because in the past they've featured super vintage very campy Mm -hmm. science fiction movies but this year um they're getting a little bit fancier especially Mm -hmm. with 2001 a space odyssey which is known as this very iconic science fiction film that really changed the whole genre Shepard and Cod both remember seeing that film in theaters and just being totally blown away. So they're very excited to show it to the community. All right. And which is the first one that's coming up? On February 3rd, they'll be showing The Time Machine, which follows an inventor in the year 1900 who constructs a time machine and travels forward in time and then finds out that society has really devolved in this kind of dark way. And then on February 10th, They'll screen Forbidden Planet, where a starship crew sets off to investigate a distant planet's colony after realizing the colony has been silent for years, and they find only two survivors, and the survivors have this big secret. And then the series will finish out on February 17th with 2001 A Space Odyssey. Doors will open each night at 6.30 and movies will start at 7. People are encouraged to wear costumes and there will be door prizes and popcorn. And Richard also said that he has intercepted a number of signals coming from outer space (laughs) and he believes that there will be an appearance by a visitor that's not from this area. Very mysterious. (laughs) Allison Harford, reporter at the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. Find links to the pieces that were mentioned today in the show notes at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to the KZMU News podcast. And just a note before we go, dear listener, we are hiring. That's right, KZMU News is looking to fill our reporter position. The job is, dare I say, pretty diverse and interesting. Please tell your friends and head to kzmu.org to apply.